This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Wrangle.io. Wrangle.io is putting on a free webinar that introduces Angular 2 components. It will be April 25th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. To sign up, go to javascriptjabber.com slash wrangle. That's javascript.com slash R-A-N-G-L-E. All right, welcome back to Javascript Jabber. This is uh, AJ and Chuck at Build Sequence. Uh, we're sitting here today with Anders, how do you say your name, Heilsberg? Heilsberg. Heilsberg, yeah. From the TypeScript team. And uh, we're excited to talk to him on JavaScript Jabber. So do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, and then we'll kind of dive in? So I'm Anders Heilsberg. I'm a technical fellow in uh, the client and enterprise, or sorry, cloud and enterprise uh, part of Microsoft's business. So more specifically, the developer division, where I currently work on the TypeScript project that I've been involved with since its inception. And I'm also the chief architect of C Sharp, which I've worked on almost ever since coming to Microsoft. I've been at Microsoft for about 20 years, and... Before that, I was a company called Borland. I wrote a product called Turbo Pascal and a product called Delphi. So I've been doing development tools for a long time. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember doing Pascal. I don't know if it was Turbo Pascal or not for one of my math classes in school yep. a few years yep. ago. Yep, yep, yep. It starts to go back uh, quite a long way <laughs> at this point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we've been trying to get you on the show for a while to talk uh-huh. about TypeScript, but mm-hmm. I guess you're a busy guy. I, I suppose, yeah. You must yeah, be important. Yeah, but no, but I'm no, no, not really. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do this. Yeah, this should be fun. Terrific. And I've I've talked to uh, Jonathan Turner, yes, and a few other folks mm-hmm. about TypeScript. And mm-hmm. I know I've also talked quite a bit with uh, the Angular Core team about yes. their involvement with adopting TypeScript and some of the things that they've been doing with it. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious if you could tell us where it came from. I, I don't know if I've heard the background of the the language so much as just. Sure you know, why people like it, but yeah, yeah. Where, where does it come from? I think, so going back probably, I'm going to say five, six years ago, there was a lot of, everyone inside Microsoft, or a lot of teams inside Microsoft were starting to realize that JavaScript is going to get big, uh-huh. because the world is becoming very heterogeneous with all these different platforms, mobile platforms, the web, the cloud, and the only language that's going to run everywhere is JavaScript. Right. And 
we were starting to write larger and larger apps in JavaScript, like uh, take all of the Office online applications, for example, or Outlook, or you know, I mean, there are many really big apps. Uh -huh. And we were seeing teams like do crazy things in order to write these big apps. It's like realizing that oh my god, writing hundreds of thousands of lines of JavaScript is impossible. Why don't we write it in C sharp and then cross compile it to JavaScript so we can get better tools? Uh -huh. You know and. The same thing was actually happening at Google with, with GWT or GWT, right? Uh -huh. Where you know, people are writing in Java using Eclipse and then cross-compiling to JavaScript. Right. But of course, if you're, if you're going for best of breed, it's hard to imagine that the way you get best of breed JavaScript is by writing it in a different language and cross-compiling it, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be impedance mismatch. Right. It's going to be really hard for you to pick up frameworks without first having to write an encapsulation of them in this other language. And mm -hmm. So when we were thinking about what can we do to make this a better experience, we sort of made an early decision that let's not try to make people code in a different language. Let's try to fix the things that are broken about medium and large-scale app development in JavaScript. But let's stay true to the ethos of, of the language and the community. Do you know what I mean? Let's make sure that we're open source. Let's make sure that we start with JavaScript. Let's make sure that we track where the standards committee is going. But let's also make sure that we do those things that enable you to write large apps, like having optional static types, like supporting classes and modules and so forth, right? And then let's down, down level transpile it and so forth. And so that was sort of the, the genesis of of TypeScript about, well, I, I'd say we started uh, close to five years ago now, internally. Mm -hmm. we, we went public, what is it, about three and a half years ago now, in October mm -hmm. of 2012. And it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. been a, it's been a lot of fun. I really am still a very, very strong believer in not trying to create a different language, but rather let's just work with what's there, you know, because that's really what the community wants. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I remember at some point, I think it was at NGConf last year, they had this slide that basically said, you know, you have ES5, and then you've got this superset of it that's ES6, Yeah, and then it was kind of a superset of that was TypeScript, Yes, which was really interesting. Yes. So and that, ES6 that, is valid TypeScript. Yes. Basically, TypeScript starts with JavaScript, uh -huh. and then we add to that optional static types, Plus, we basically allow you to use all of the latest features for MakerScript, even the ones that are not even in the standard yet, like right. async await, for example, but are on their, on their way to becoming standardized. And then we really we do two things. We give you excellent tooling based on the static types, such that you get statement completion and code refactorings, go to definition, navigation, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that you're accustomed to in large projects, right? And then the other thing we do is we give you the ability to down-level compile your code so you can close the feature gap. Right. You know, the gap between what you would like to code in and what is actually available on the web. You know, right. there's state-of-the-art JavaScript and then there's state-of-the-web JavaScript. Yeah, and exactly. there's a gap in between those. Yeah, what the browser that's, will run and what you want to write. And that's the gap that we aim to fill. So those are the two things that we do. And so we start with JavaScript give you these capabilities and then where we compile it just becomes JavaScript again. And honestly, we actually, we strive to produce beautiful JavaScript. So uh -huh. the output that comes out of there, all your comments travel along with it and, and if you someday get tired of TypeScript, you can just throw it away and continue with your JavaScript because, you know, it's your code still. Yeah, Rob Wormald yesterday when we talked to him actually said, 
uh, the ES5 that comes out of TypeScript is probably better ES5 than you would write. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I thought that was fairly interesting. It's, well, there are certain idioms, right, that, like, the way you do classes and, and, and so forth, you know, that we've gone through a lot of effort to find the, the best practices and encode mm -hmm. them in our emitter, you know. So, so yeah, yeah. So the, one of the things that I hear people complain about, of course, before they use TypeScript, but they look at it and they go, uh, static types in JavaScript. Yeah, you know, you, you, it's like it's like ooh, you got types on my on my dynamic language. Yeah, and I'm wondering what do you see as the advantages of having static typing or optional static typing as is more appropriate to say about yeah. JavaScript. Yeah, in TypeScript versus what's in JavaScript. What problems does it solve? There are several things that it helps you do. You know, when when a code base gets to be beyond a certain size, let's just say for the sake of argument, a couple of thousand lines of code, right? Mm -hmm. It gets increasingly hard to do project-wide things like refactoring. So let's say I have a property called name on this kind of object. Uh -huh. Now, sadly, I have lots of other things called name in my code base. I want to change this one here to be full name or last name or whatever, right. but I don't want to change all of the other things called name, right? Mm -hmm. In JavaScript, without semantic understanding of what your code does, your only choice is a global search in a place, which almost right. is guaranteed to get it wrong, right? Or manually visit every place where the identifier name occurs and decide whether this is the one I'm renaming or not. Right. That's madness, right? And the larger your code base gets, the slower you go, right? Mm -hmm. And these are the kinds of problems that compilers and language services are excellent at reasoning about, but they need help. Right. They need you to say, this name is different from that name, and the way you say that is by adding types. And if you add types to everything, and now, now it doesn't mean that you have to explicitly add the types. In most cases, we can infer the types. As long as you add a type up here, then we can, oh, then we can flow the type through your expressions and through your statements and through your property accesses, and then we can understand just from a single annotation what all of the types in a function are, often. Right. And then we can give you safe refactorings. And I do this daily. I like say the TypeScript compiler is, is now close to 100,000 lines. Uh -huh. You know, the compiler and the language services that go along with plugging it into Visual Studio and all of the other editors, right? And with regularity, we refactor across the entire code base. I need to rename this property here. Poof! It just did the 57 places it occurred, even though it had a very common name. But all these other places were left alone, right? So I guess I'm wondering... I can see what you're saying, but I don't, I don't quite make the connection in the sense that if I have, say, 10 different classes yep. that all have a name property on yep. them, and all those name properties are string, are you talking about the optional typing on the name property that are all strings, or no. optional typing on the class itself? No, the, the class. It's actually there. You don't even have to give it a type. The right. fact that you declared a name property inside this class... Okay. And inside this other class, well, we know uh -huh. that those are two different name properties. And if you okay. say rename this one, then we can rename it in all the places where you are dotting off an instance mm -hmm. of that class. Right. So, but not so the I, other one, right? So I annotate in my other functions and things that I'm expecting yes. a person type. Exactly. And exactly. so then it knows, okay, so since I know this is a person type and you're refactoring on the person yes. type, the name property, exactly. then that's I, exactly I can right. back right yep. up. Yep. Okay, I just wanted to clarify so, that. So that's, that's one of the advantages. Another one, of course, is just sort of the ability to 
easily navigate around in big code bases. You know, when you're here's a call to its function called foo. Oh, let me see what foo does. I want to just press F12 or whatever and jump there. Mm-hmm. While that, again, you need to know which foo. <laughs> right. You know, if, if it has a common name, then there could be many, and you, you, we can't jump you to the right one, right? Mm-hmm. Statement completion. You know, knowing what properties could I write right. here. Like, if I'm working with jQuery, I don't remember the entire API. You know, mm-hmm. tell me. When I press dot, just show me what could go here, and I'll, I'll pick the right one. Documentation. You know, if you're writing a framework, say, or a big code base, you probably want to document what you meant here so that when another developer comes in later, they don't have to start all over and actually deeply understand every bit of the code before they can make even the minutest little change, right? Mm-hmm. So there are many things that so this one, helps with. One other question that I have about TypeScript, and I think I know the answer to this, but in JavaScript, one of the nice things about having things be dynamic is that if two different object types or two different classes have the same function or the same property on them, then I can pass either one in and call yes. dot .name on yes. it, yes. right? Yes. So can you annotate in your function that it should be a person or uh, some other type that yes. has name on it? Yes. In fact, not only that, but the whole way the type system is built in TypeScript is that it's a structural type system. And that means that it's really a formalization of duck typing, <laughs> right. if you will. Yeah. You can declare an interface or just yeah, an, an interface type and say it has a name and an age property. A name is of type string and oh, age is of type number. Anything that has a property uh-huh. called with name of type string and age of type number or something that derives from string or number is assignment compatible with that. Oh, and that's you don't have to do anything else. So you, you don't even annotation. have to give the type a name. You can just write the type mm-hmm. annotation in line using curlies and then anything that has that. So, so when you write an object literal, it is automatically assignment compatible to anything that has the same set of properties. I see. So, so you can basically do a type annotation on yes. the interface instead yes. of the object. Well, you can just do it straight on a variable. There's no difference between... You can write the same interface ten times, give it different names. If it's structurally the same, they're all the same. Interesting. Yes. So the name doesn't actually matter. It's the structure that matters. So one other thing that I'm wondering about, though, is that TypeScript, the way that you've explained it and explained the benefits, uh, center a lot around tooling. So why use TypeScript instead of just having better JavaScript tooling? Well, TypeScript is better JavaScript tooling. Okay. Because it starts with JavaScript, right? But then you realize, and I think we're not the only ones to realize, that Uh in order for the tooling to get really smart, you need to know more about the code than is apparent in the code itself. Okay. Now you can start thinking about places to put that information. You can put it in a different file. That's probably not a good idea. Now you have two files right. to keep in sync. You can put it in comments. That might be a good idea. Google Closure does yeah. that, right, with JS doc annotations. But yeah, it's, it's nice not until a, your comments get out of sync. Exactly, or, and it's not a it's not a great place to host a type system, right? So yeah. why not just allow you to add type annotations to the code itself, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about this other thing earlier, this thing called the feature gap in JavaScript. And because of the feature gap, a lot of modern JavaScript dev shops use a transpiler of some sort. Yes. Like either TypeScript or Babel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you have a transpiler in your tool chain anyway, uh-huh. then why... Yeah, why not inform why it, not right? Why not also get all of these other benefits that we can deliver uh-huh. through type annotations, right? So it, to me, that is just a slam dunk. I mean, I, I don't see why you wouldn't. So we get to the point where we're like, okay, so we're going to 
build TypeScript and it's going to solve these problems. It's going to make tooling easier. How do you actually turn it into a language that people can use? <laughs> well, so I've, been, I've been doing programming languages now for 35 years, uh-huh. so I know a few things about what works and, and, and what doesn't. But even so, the thing that intrigued me about this project is that it's a very different way of thinking about type systems. You know, type systems traditionally have been for correctness, of course, but it's also very much been about gathering information that then that then you use when you emit the code, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so you need to know what the type of this variable is, so you know what kind of machine instruction mm-hmm. to use, how much memory to allocate, how, exactly. Yeah. All of these, all of these things, right? But then. What's happened in the last decade or two is that compilers have actually changed fundamentally, or the way we use compilers has changed. It's been a very gradual shift, so no one's really noticed, but compilers have have become these things that are actually behind our editors and Mm -hmm. guide our every interaction with our code and help us, they serve up helpful hints, they red squigglies, they do all these things for us, right? Mm -hmm. But Below all of that is a compiler, but the compiler is very different. It's not your traditional command line compiler with a code generator backend. Right. It's a piece of machinery that has all the same components, but it's built more like an API that can be uh-huh. plugged into an editor that can work highly incrementally. And in the case of TypeScript, that actually doesn't guide the code generation because we generate source in a sense. Well, uh-huh. it, it guides it somewhat, but it's but not really, right? And so, in a sense, what we have here is a type system for tooling and productivity's sake. Uh-huh. And it turns out that that there's so much of the of the of, of the job that a compiler does is now that that mm-hmm. it's actually valuable in and of itself now as right. as a new thing. And that's sort of what What's interesting about this opportunity, because it's new, that's, that, that hasn't really been the case before. Right, where it um, breaks it down into an abstract syntax tree. Oh, yeah, does... no, our compiler is, is well, it's, it's just like any other compiler, and uh-huh. then in many ways it's very different. It's actually, right. a, a, I think, a, a beautiful piece of engineering, you know, because if you had told me five or ten years ago that, oh, Anders, in five or ten years you're going to be writing compilers in JavaScript that can handle hundreds of thousands of lines of code and keep up with the user typing and uh-huh. provide... I would have gone, there is no way that's going to happen. Right. And here it is, and it's happening. Uh-huh. And that, that speaks to a couple of things. First, you know, the tremendous evolution that JavaScript runtimes have gone through and, and like, the mm-hmm. wonderful work that Google has done with V8, for example, right. and that we've done in our Chakra engine, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, and the capabilities now and speed that you can get with JavaScript that we all previously thought mm-hmm. was never going to be possible, right? But then also, we have actually thought very, very deep and hard about how to make a compiler sing in that right. kind of an environment. And so... So our compiler, in some ways, is built as a traditional, you know, there's a scanner, there's a parser, it builds abstract syntax trees, but then it starts to look very different thereafter. Uh We build these immutable ASTs, and then we cache them per each file in your project. Okay. And as long as you're not modifying that file, we can just keep the AST around. And so if you have a 200-file project and you're just typing in one file, Mm -hmm. that's the only file that we build new ASTs for. Right. Then we furthermore say, well, if we have the old AST around and we know where in the file you were editing, then we can use pieces of the old AST also. So really, all we're changing is 
the little corner of the AST that you're roaming in and then the spine going up because we right. we use an immutable data structure to stitch mm-hmm. together a new tree from the old tree. Uh-huh. And then we then we run the type check on that. But of course we can't type check all of it. Right. If you're saying da 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 dot and now you need to know what is the type of this thing, well then we just analyze just enough. Uh-huh. You know, so we so our compiler is is what we call a pull mode mode compiler. Like compilers traditionally start top down and analyze mm-hmm. everything and build a big simple table and whatever. Our compiler is totally different. You start inside out, you sort of helicopter into the middle of a piece of code and say, mm-hmm. I'd like to know what the type is right here. And then we incrementally bind right. just enough to deliver the answer quickly. That's and, amazing. And that is... No school teaches you how to write a compiler that way today. I mean, there's lots of schools that teach you about writing compilers, but they don't teach you about writing those kinds of compilers. Well, this so, because so, those kinds of compilers are all about the resulting, you know, machine well, code they're, or... they're about a whole... This, it's about the new way of using compilers yeah. that I talked about earlier, right? It's yeah. compilers for tooling's sake, which is a different thing than compilers for code generator's sake, you know, so... So, as I understand it, when you run the TypeScript compiler, that's at least I, I, the way I used it with the tooling setup I had in Vim. Uh-huh. It ran as a server, not as a one-time thing, because it Correct. had to keep all these caches yes. and do all that. Because yes. if you try to run it just once, it's really slow. So you have to have that server to, so it can have those caches and doesn't have well, to recheck I, everything every sure. time. Now, a couple of times. First of all, if you run it once, it's not actually really slow. We we. The original compiler that we had was about five times slower than the compiler that we have now. We, we, we actually did a complete rewrite of, oh, okay. of, of the code base about two years ago, and then the code base we're on now is very, very fast. I mean, we the compiler compiles itself in two or three seconds, and that's 100 I love that. The compiler I mean, compiles itself. Well, of course. It's all written in TypeScript, right? Well, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's fast for, for a compiler. But... But you're right that what we do is we package a version of the compiler as a node module called TS server, which you can run as a separate process, and then you can talk JSON to it. And that's what our VS Code plugin does, our Sublime Text plugin does, and literally the editor, you then write an editor plugin, and all it's saying is, I'm in file this and that on line 214, column 17. The user just pressed dot. I'd like to know what to show him. And then the Oracle coughs up an answer and delivers it in JSON. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? And the Oracle, <laughs> in this case the compiler, is actually keeping a mirror state of your entire project. It's known from you know crawling up your directory tree, where's the TS config, from right. that we can figure out what's all of the files, then we can load them up, build ASTs, and hold them in a separate process. And then just be told about the little changes you're making and updating our image there, and then we're able to cough up answers on millisecond scale, right? Which is fascinating, really. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's, it's so much fun to work on, you know. That, that, you know that's that, just that, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that's how we're building the compiler, actually. So, so there's the command line compiler, but that's really just one way you, you might use it. And of course, we also support watch mode. You know, it's very popular in, in JavaScript tool chains to, you know, you, you, everyone wants to just have the experience of edit, save, refresh in the browser, right? Yeah. And if you put on autosave, you don't even have to save. You just go mm-hmm. refresh. <laughs> yeah. And we know full well that we need to support that. And so, so you can run the TypeScript compiler in watch mode where it basically sits and just watches file system change events. 
And whenever they occur, it recompiles just that file, re-emits and, and whatever, and so, so you can just have the same workflow that you've always had. Plus, we're also embeddable, so tools like Webpack can use us at packaging time, uh-huh. or loaders like System.js can use us as a in-browser transpiler at runtime, which is mm-hmm. a dev setup that's popular with Angular. So, yep. you know, you never compile. The compile happens as the file is downloaded to the browser. Right. Of course, you wouldn't do that in a in production environment, writing. but for, for development, it's actually super handy. That's just cool. So, if I just want to stick with ES5, uh-huh. but I want, are there any features of TypeScript I can use without having it be TypeScript? Like, is there any, is there anything I can use from the tooling of TypeScript without actually adding things sure. that, that change the syntax? You, you want the artifact to be ECMAScript, this is what you're saying, but you want some of these benefits. Yeah, like, I really don't like, I, I don't do Babel, I don't like yeah. transpilers, yeah. I don't like having my tool change. Sure. And, uh, I mean... Yeah, there, it, it gets no, complicated. I, I understand, but I really saying. love the idea of yeah. adding. Yeah, uh, what would you call it? Sh- strong typing, or what, what's firm typing? You know, like where it's it's not really typed, but it's typed enough to give you tooling yeah. benefits. So, so one of the things that we've uh, worked on most recently, uh, and that we released actually in version one eight, which is now in in Visual Studio Code and in Sublime Text, um, is the ability to use the TypeScript compiler to analyze JavaScript and to give you help on pure, unannotated JavaScript. And there's a limit to how far we can go. But one of the things that has happened in the TypeScript community, because of its, its sort of popularity over the last few years, a lot of people have written down what we call declaration files, or typings for all of the popular JavaScript frameworks, like mm-hmm. jQuery, like Lodash, like Angular, like React, like, I mean, you, you name yeah, it. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. it's all collected on a GitHub site called Definitely Typed, and we're uh, more than 1,500 declaration files there now for every popular JavaScript framework. And all of that information, it's not, it is describing how the JavaScript works, right? And so wouldn't it be nice if we could actually use that even if you're writing JavaScript, right? And it turns out that we can. So now we allow you to to basically drop a tsconfig file in your root JavaScript directory and then just tell the compiler which libraries you're using or which typings mm-hmm. you should include. And now when you're sitting in JavaScript, you type dollar dot, then poof, all of a sudden the Oracle kicks in and shows you everything that could go here. And it keeps going as you're dotting because, because we can infer types. Even though there was no type annotation to start with other than the dollar, Mm-hmm. Everything that flows from that first dollar <laughs> of jQuery—that's amazing. We can, we can, so we can keep going for a good long time before the types run out, so to mm-hmm. speak. But at some point, they run out, and 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 if you're unwilling to put type annotations, then there's not much more we can do. Well, but so one, but one thing that we do do now is we actually slurp up JS doc type annotations also. Ah, okay. So, that's so, that's something I'd be interested in. Okay, great. Well, it's it's in the shipping product right now, so so go check it out. I actually demoed it in my talk yesterday. So um, so, so what is the so, TS config file? The TS it's just a file that that tells you that this is the root of a project, and then it tells you what are the options that you want to enable on on the compiler, like what things do you do, you know, and which files should it look at. Just so it doesn't go hog wild and look at it. I mean, it's like 
there may be a lot of JavaScript files around here that are not necessarily part of how you're going to package your program. Do you, do you know what I mean? You've got to tell us which files. <laughs> then we can deliver all of this. So is something like jQuery where it's not written in TypeScript, is it, is it basically like you, you take as if it had JS doc annotations and then export that out to a meta file or a metadata? Yeah, well, that's, so that was what I was talking about, like the declaration mm-hmm. files that you can find on definitely type. Okay. So the there's a file called jQuery.d.ts okay. that you can just drop. So one of the ways you use TypeScript typically is you, have, you, you, you put a tsconfig file in your root directory. Then in there you can say specifically what files to include, and you can just say, no, include all files except for these directories. Right. So that's sort of the default mode. So, so basically it just says anything that sits in this tree I'm going to look at. And so as long as you drop a jQuery.d.ts into some subdirectory somewhere or underneath your root, like a directory called typings, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we'll pick it up automatically as you're sitting there typing your JavaScript and then we'll give you statement completion if we can figure out a type. And if we can't figure out a type, then you can add a JS doc annotation and then we'll pick that up and then go from there. Okay, cool. Yep. I like that. I'm glad to know that the uh, JS doc... And then we actually they also... love you too, AJ. <laughs> That's, no, I mean, like, because I really love the idea of it. I yeah. really yeah. want the tooling. Yeah. I just don't want... No, I understand that point of view. Yeah. I, I totally do. And that we're very much about allowing you to set the dial wherever you want to set the mm-hmm. dial. And, and now we're allowing you to go all the way to zero. Yes. <laughs> and then you can, you can ramp it up. And you can even mix TypeScript and JavaScript files in the same project if you, if you care to. And then, you know, it's, it's... I would imagine that at some point there could be complications when you're mixing TypeScript and JavaScript where you're saying, I want this type, but then actually you're... Re- you're requiring a JavaScript file or something. But, but you know, the, the funny thing is there isn't actually, because from the type checker's perspective, JavaScript is the same as TypeScript, except there are no type annotations. Oh, but we're already prepared to handle that. That just means that we give it type any. Mm-hmm. Okay. And type any means, oh, you can say anything after. You can say blah, dot, and any, anything you want, right? So TypeScript, uh, JavaScript, is just it's just like... It's TypeScript that it's has TypeScript, a whole bunch of but, anonymous but, uh, but, uh, types. But, uh, but, uh, but, uh, exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, we have no problem handling that. Yep. And, and then the, the one thing that we do now is we all, but we say, if you're in a JavaScript file and you have JS doc annotations, oh, but then let's get it from there. Yeah. That's really the only thing that changed. That so. is pretty darn amazing. Yeah, it's so, fun stuff. It's, so are there limitations to TypeScript as far as where you can use it or what you can do with it? Are there things that people do with it where they go, oh, when I try and transpile it, bad? You have to be in a a scenario where it makes sense, right? I mean, I I think if you're going to write five lines of code, you know, it probably isn't worth the effort to get yourself set up with a tool chain and all of that stuff. But the larger your project gets... Mm-hmm. the more valuable it is. Right. And, and, and like I said earlier, by the time you get to a couple of thousand lines of code, you know, it's a slam dunk. Right. It really is. Uh, and, and, and I think we have enough. I mean, just look at our, our usage numbers and the testimonials we're getting, and it's, it's pretty clear that we are really yeah. delivering some productivity value here. We've actually, over the last year, our download numbers of NPM have gone up about 20x, and we just went over a million downloads uh, per month now in, in February. Wow. Now, of course, these are not individual users. Oh, of you know, course. Right? But, but it just means that we're becoming a part of a lot of 
other tools that pre-provision us. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's really sort of a sign of your adoption in, by the community, right? Right. So one other thing that I've seen with, I've been to a bunch of Angular conferences lately. I was one in, at one in Amsterdam. I was at NGConf. I think I was at another one last fall that I'm just not thinking of at the moment. But anyway, a lot of the examples are in TypeScript, and the way that those files are organized is very nice. It's very clean. And one thing that I haven't quite been able to determine is if that's because they're using TypeScript or if it's because they designed it to sort of look that way in TypeScript. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a combination of, of, of things, I think. Because TypeScript filled the feature gap, mm-hmm. you are now... Basically, you have permission to write the latest version of ECMAScript. (laughs) I mean, even like, I mean, we're ahead of the standardization committee on certain features. You know, as long as features raise to uh, stage three is typically, we go, okay, it's time for us to consider having this as a supported feature, even Mm -hmm. though it's not actually in the standard yet, right? And so you can write state-of-the-art JavaScript. And that helps because that right. means you have modules, you have classes, you have mm-hmm. arrow functions, you have a lot of things that make your code look yep. nicer. And then you also have features that are not even in there yet, like decorators that mm-hmm. allow you to do dependency injection in, in, uh, in Angular, for example. And that certainly looks a lot nicer than having underbar thingies you know, yeah. with strange names that are recognized by the infrastructure. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So, yep. so a lot of that helps. But then also, I, I think the fact that, that the extensions that we've added are very, very natural. I mean, the, the, our type annotations look like they belong there. Uh-huh. Like, they were always there. Like, they, they flow totally naturally in the language, right? And our interface declarations look kind of like object literals, right? That except yeah. they say types instead of values, and mm-hmm. it feels natural. So there's a certain aesthetic to it that, right. that I think is, is, is there, too. Yeah. yeah, it does sound like it's a little bit of both. You did mention that anything that makes it into the standard at, like, stage three, and, we, you know, we're talking to people here and talking to other people on TC39, I hope people understand how that works, and maybe we should do a little show a little more in depth. But if sure. something gets to stage three, and then they decide not to put it in the spec for whatever reason, do you pull it out of TypeScript? It hasn't happened yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, at this point, I think... Async await is at that stage, and I think decorators are at that stage. Uh-huh. And they didn't make it into ES 2016, but but they're looking like they'll be in 2017. Right. So, you know, that's fine. We have yet to to be in a position where we have to pull something out. Right. And we'll see what 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 happens there. I mean, we're not. I mean, we can always park something under a backwards compatibility mm-hmm. switch on the compiler, and then you know, the thing about compilers is you never you can never take anything out. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. You can you can that, park that, it. That's what I was wondering. Was yeah. yeah. No. No. So, no. I mean, so well, what do you, you do? You can. You can. And and we continually see people try to do it in their languages, and then the community goes crazy. Right. Because I was using you're, that. you're just taking the cost and you're putting it right back on the community. Right. You, yeah. You don't want my. I don't want my old code to be broken. I want my new code to be better. Right. Okay. So give me a switch that allows me to use the old stuff, and then I'll clean it up whenever I have time, or maybe I never will, because I'm, that's like on the way mm-hmm. out anyhow. But for the new stuff, I want you to tell me what's the right way to do it, right? So you've got to be sensitive to, to, to both sides. Gotcha. Do you have anything else you want to ask about TypeScript? No. Because I'm, I'm really curious. You, you mentioned, and then I'm going to change the topic, is why I was, like, I was giving you a chance, AJ, but language design. 
what does it take to be a language designer? Because that just seems so, <laughs> it seems so fascinating to me, right? I mean, C-sharp or TypeScript or, you know, some of these other languages. And you see people, they're designing new functional languages. Mm-hmm. Or they're designing new sort of object-oriented languages where they, they pick and choose features that they really like from other places. And then you get something that actually kind of works. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, as a language designer, like, what skills do you have to have and what do you do to explore the areas that you could go into and then make decisions that go into a language? Yeah. It's a tough one. A couple of things I I would say that, that have worked for me. One is try to keep it as simple as you can. Okay. Like, don't go for all the bells and whistles, you know. It's because it's, simplicity also means if it's simple, it's easier to understand. Mm-hmm. And it'll also tend to run faster. <laughs> right. You know, so small is good. Um, yeah, but some and, of those complicated features are very powerful, too. They are. So, so you got to sort of understand every good language feature typically has more than one use. Okay. Like take lambdas or take mm. interfaces yeah. or, or whatever, right? It's not like they're a one-trick pony that right. you add into the language. Oh, let's put XML literals in the middle of the language. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Or, or something, right? right? And then you discover that we, we had for with C-sharp big debates about whether we should support X. Because there was a time, remember, when mm-hmm. XML was like, my God, it was like the best thing ever. Yeah, in the and, last five years, I've heard so many say, jokes about XML. Say, and if you didn't say XML, then you just weren't with it, right? Yeah. And so, of course, there was a lot of pressure to, can't we, like, somehow put XML into C Sharp and then it'll, oh, my God, that'll just be fantastic. And I actually sort of fought it because I felt that, you know, these fads have a way of petering out. And if you mm-hmm. hitch yourself to that wagon, you go down with it, right? Right. And so, so you've got to be careful. Well, the language you, has a job to do, and those features feel like they're... No, but it's like what we talked about, right? You, mm-hmm. you can you can always put stuff in, but you can never take it out. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. At least, well, there's one exception, right? Like, unless you have no adoption. <laughs> but show but me... But then you have another uh, problem. Show me a beautiful language with no quirks in it, and I'll show you a programming language with no adoption, right? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> That's so fair. It's It's true. Yeah. Stuff accrues over time, and all That's you so do true. is you just get more and more baggage. So you got to be real picky about what you put in, mm-hmm. and it's okay to say no. But sometimes you got to say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's hard. You know, it's, it's, and it's, some of it just comes down to developing a feel for it over, mm-hmm. over time, you know, by doing it for a long time. I, I think, like with anything, you got to be passionate about it. I'm very right. passionate about programming languages. I've been mm-hmm. doing them for 35 years, and... I got a start in this business not because I wanted to make money. I, I was doing it because I couldn't help myself. You, you, right. I mean, I couldn't stop. Mm. And oh, money! Oh, well, that was nice. Yeah, now I can eat too. You know, but I still want to <laughs> do this, right? I mean, so 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 you got to be passionate uh, because that's mm. how you get good at something. It's by putting in the hours. You know. Yeah. I'm, I'm also curious if you had unlimited budget and unlimited time resources, what kind of a language would you design today? <laughs> Because there's so many interesting things going on. It's like, it's, how do you pick? Yeah, it's, it's t- I, I think, you know, the thing that's interesting about programming languages is that they are all 90% the same. Yeah. We all stand on the shoulders of, of giants, you know. Mm-hmm. There's, there's so much good work that you, that even if you invent a brand new programming language, 95% of it is going to be something. I think everyone, you're going to need a type system. You're going to need a syntax. You're going to mm-hmm. need a... 
you know, like uh, all of these concepts that we're accustomed to, like functions and whatever. But then there's new stuff, right? That sort of, but 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 programming like 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 functional programming, for example, that we've all learned a lot from over mm-hmm. the past decade or, or two. But even functional programming language, if you look how the thing that's interesting about programming languages is how slowly they evolve. Mm-hmm. Like, look at Lisp. I mean, Lisp is the grandfather of all the functional programming languages. That language is like. 50 plus years old. Yeah. I mean, it's like we were walking around in diapers when when they invented Mm -hmm. Lisp, right? It's not like the evolution of hardware where, you know, we've got new generations of everything and we were talking about like tens of or six orders of magnitude improvement over over, over decades, right? I mean, no, no. Well, the other uh, thing is, is you mentioned Lisp. And, you know, we see things like Clojure and Uh some of these others Uh that are very similar to Lisp, except they've added a couple of features that make them a little bit more modern, a little bit easier to use. Well, they've added type systems, yeah. Right. So, yeah, specifically with Clojure, they've added a type system that allows complex types and simple types. And, yeah, I mean, you know, you could see that as a major leap forward, but then they really haven't changed Clojure a ton after that. And the next thing will be another... You know, deviation in one direction, and and then we'll yeah, you know, and that'll be in another few years when somebody says, "I like closure, but I need this other thing on sure. it." Sure, but I think there's like I said, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening uh, in functional programming that I think we've learned a lot from. Yeah, and certainly when you look at, say, the type system that's in TypeScript, it is actually more closely aligned with functional programming than mm-hmm. with with object-oriented programming. You know, we support classes. Yes, oh, of course. But we have a structural type system with generics and F-bounded polymorphism and all these fancy things. You know, uh-huh. we have union types, intersection types that work over generics, type inference, very, very rich type inference. You know, these are all things that come straight out of functional programming. So, like yeah. I said, we're all learning from each other. Yeah. So one other question that I have, you know, because you're paying attention to the space of these languages that transpile to JavaScript. Uh-huh. And I keep hearing more and more people, except for AJ, who are saying that that's just the direction we're heading in now. Mm -hmm. That more and more modern JavaScript apps are going to be written in languages that are not JavaScript, but transpiled to JavaScript, and that that is going to inform the web moving forward. Uh Is that something you agree with? Yes, but with a twist. I, I think there are lots of languages that compile to JavaScript, and then there are a few languages that are supersets of JavaScript. Okay. I'm a believer in that category. Okay. That's the category that we very explicitly chose to put ourselves in. We specifically did not want to be a brand new, different language because we knew that, you know, the only way you get adoption in this space is by adding value, not by telling everyone, first you've got to throw away all your code. And now let's talk about the value we add, right? Uh-huh. Well, okay, you start out with minus a thousand points right there and you, uh-huh. and you never win them back, right? Yeah, but if you can be a superset, then you start out at zero, and everything you do is positively accrued, right? Right. And that's why we're very serious about being a superset and about tracking the work that the standardization committee is doing. But then, on top of that, we view types and tools as our as our natural domain. We're adding right. value, right? And I think that formula has worked out really well for us and, and is very synergistic with what's going on in the community already without trying to, like, substitute something different, right? So and, and also, I, I, will, I still believe that 
the only way you get best of breed in this space is by being that superset. Because if you're some other language, then there's always impedance mismatch. There's always something that I could have done in JavaScript that I can't quite do over here. And right. now I have to contort myself to try and do it. And it just turns into hackery at that point, right? So right. Now, you're, now you're just trying to appease some compiler that doesn't really have anything to do with your core problem anymore. Yeah. Now, AJ may be a little surprised to hear me ask this question because I really do like ES6 and TypeScript. Yes, yes. But... You know, the argument has been made that ES6 is a deviation from ES5 and not a superset of ES5. That it's more, it, it's, it's a change and not an addition well, to. It's a change. I mean, more, a lot changed. I mean, well, a lot was overdue, right? I mean, like yes. from ES3 to ES5 was, what, 10 years mm-hmm. with a failed one in the, in the middle, right? right? And then it was another six years from mm-hmm. ES five to ES and, and there were actually not there was not a lot of new syntax in ES five other than strict mode and, and that, mm-hmm. which wasn't really syntax, right? I right. mean and so well, there's so I don't think there was any new syntax yeah, in ES yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. I think the only thing that was done was that keywords that were never used were released right. so that they could be used. Right. And uh, then things were taken out of the language, uh, like with Yes. And eval. Yeah. And then other things were would generate silent errors or really weird behavior were corrected. Like I, I think that if you did new Boolean false, the value would be true. <laughs> well, of course it would. And uh, there was something else, like, like a couple of things like that, where they were just like way out in left field. They were errors. Yeah. They were, yeah. Yeah. you know, and so ES five was really about removing garbage. Yes. And not very. I mean, other than things like the arrays well, that were all polyfills. Removing the garbage you can remove, yeah, without breaking everybody too badly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'll like the stuff that we're doing with the non-nullable types. You should check out the the, the presentation I did here, and then some of that work. It's, it's really cool because it gets yeah. to the very core of some of all of these quirks about the differences between truthy mm-hmm. and falsy checks and double equals and triple equals and what does it mean for my types and how do, how do we actually check that you wrote the yeah. right thing, right? We're doing a lot of uh, fun stuff yeah. there right now. Yeah. yeah. But is, so is ES6 too much change? Is it? I, by and large, I think they did a fine job. Mm-hmm. You know, the vast majority of things that got added, I think, have a place in the language. I mean, I think lambdas are great. I, the structuring is quite useful. Yeah. Uh, classes, for sure. I, I do understand that. And modules, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right? And, and it gets and, it a lot closer to what I think a lot more people who use modern languages are Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the ability to. to write code with modules with controlled scopes and and, yeah. and, and understanding and, and whatever API it is that you've defined across this boundary and then having these packaging tools or modern loaders be able mm-hmm. to either prepackage everything into a single downloadable artifact or do all the transpilation mm-hmm. you know on the fly I mean that's that's wonderful. Yes. I think that's that's goodness. Now and there is and there always will be, I think, a big debate of, of the OOP camp versus the functional camp, right? And JavaScript is one of those few languages that equally well supports both styles. Right. And I think it's fine because, honestly, this debate is just going to go on forever. And there is no single answer in that debate. It really depends on, do you like speaking French or English? Well, <laughs> it sort of depends on yeah. what I grew up with, right? I yeah. mean, but both are good. Yeah. And I think... What are you doing and where does it hurt? Exactly, and, 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 and I think both actually fit in very nicely. Um, so, 
Well, I'm pretty bullish on him. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I don't know if I have any other questions or anything to add. How about you, AJ? No. No, I'm satisfied. All right. So I've been wrapping this up first by uh, just throwing a thank you out to Richard and Carl for inviting us here to be able yeah. to talk to the yeah. here, here. the folks here at Microsoft and, you know, get to talk to you. One other thing that we do during our shows, of course, we've done, what, six or seven interviews now. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing it, but we, we would like to ask you. Uh, at the end of our shows, we do what we call picks. And basically what that is is just, you know, whatever you're into, if it's a TV show or a movie, music, or whether it's like coding tools or a programming language or anything like that, you know, just kind of, you know, what are you into these days? Do you, are there one or two things that you just kind of want to shout out about? <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, you know, the thing I'm into in a sense is getting back to my roots and writing code. You know, uh, I, yeah. the thing that often happens when, when you become an architect and you rise, you know, is like it becomes very easy not to write code. Mm-hmm. And I was finding that I was writing less and less code and doing more and more sort of high-level design work. And there was something I was missing, you know, and I, I, wasn't, I couldn't quite figure it out. And then when I got involved with the TypeScript project, I started writing a lot of code. And I'm writing a lot of code in a compiler, and I'm loving it to death. You know, it's, so for me, it's like... I just think it's important to be true to your passions, mm. right? Because yeah. that's what makes you happy, you know, and, and that's when you do your best work. So for me, that has been sort of a, a thing I'm into, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's writing code again. That, that's actually really insightful. I think a lot of people, they get into code and they write code for a living and they really enjoy it. And they just kind of take for granted that they have the opportunity to do that. And you know, for me with the podcast and everything else, I spend a lot of time doing other things. And mm-hmm. so I definitely identify with that where I, I finally got to the point at one point where I was like, you know, I, I don't think I've written code for like three or four weeks. And so I sat down and I just kind of cleared everything off and, yeah. you know, wrote some code and just built something and, yeah. and experimented with yeah. stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's, it is, it's kind of a core thing to who it's I am. Therapeutic. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it's relaxing and yet stimulating at yeah. the same time. Yep. So, yep. well, thank you very much for talking oh, to my us. My pleasure. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll have to see if we can get you on the the Angular show because I know that they they love to talk to you. Yeah, that'd be fun. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at JavaScriptJabber.com slash Jabber. And there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.